0: earth is still the harvest is on <laughs> we just need to remember and remember our connection it's our heritage and start to um activate that that way of being where we 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 say hello to the earth we open that communication pathway and um and and re you know recreate our culture mm-hmm.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast. This is episode 20, and I'm your host, Amber Magnolia-Hill. Today, I am interviewing my first ever herb teacher, Cami McBride, and I'm just going to go ahead and refrain from gushing about her right now because I do quite enough of that in the interview. Uh, I think when you hear it... And you hear the wisdom that just spills out of her, you will understand why I hold her in such high regard and why she had such a profound impact on my life. And just knowing, you know, who my listeners are, who my audience is, and how you all have reacted to guests and topics in the past, I cannot wait to get this interview out there. <laughs> it's it's going to have profound impact on so many lives. If this is your first time listening, on Medicine Stories, we explore the mythic journeys we undertake when coming to know ourselves through interviews with herbalists, story keepers, ancestral listeners, consciousness explorers, earth dreamers, and other wise folk. With the underlying guiding principles that story is medicine, magic is real, and healing is open-ended and endless. If you're curious what I mean by that last sentence, um, I haven't mentioned this yet on the show, but I was recently interviewed on Susan Weed's radio show, so she asked me what I meant by that, and um, you can find that, I guess, you just Google Susan Weed Amber Hill, Susan Weed Mythic Medicine, something like that, and can listen to the um to the interview if you like it was an interesting experience <laughs> it was definitely um an honor to speak to an herbal elder whose work has really influenced me people ask me all the time um you know the main herb books or book i would recommend and really the number 1 one is healing wise by susan weed I, the wise woman tradition I think it's just so foundational to my approach to herbal medicine and to healing and I think it should be the foundational approach to most people's approach to herbal healing as well. Um it's just, you know, one of those kind of paradigm shifting moments when I read that book and I started to really see the difference between The scientific approach to medicine and healing, the heroic approach to medicine and healing, and the wise woman approach. I think a lot of us in herbalism get caught up in the heroic approach, especially at first, Um, you know, quote, alternative medicine, quote, holistic healing. um, These ideas that sound so enticing when you've just lived in, you know, mainstream American culture for most of your life like we all have but that really have some underlying problems with them when it comes to truly deep healing. So Susan's book Healing Wise and the wise woman tradition framework I think are paramount. Um and Susan is my birthday twin. <laughs> but you know, I'll just leave it at the interview was interesting. You can hear it for yourself. I just returned from a 2-day getaway to the coast. And had a really beautiful healing encounter there with a giant blue whale bone. If you listen to episode ten with Katie Bowman, then you may already know that um whales are just my my deepest animal resonance, and specifically the blue whale. like just for as long as I can remember since I was a very young child, I had such Strong feelings about whales, <laughs> and especially the blue whale. I don't know why. It's just something about it. Every time I've ever seen a picture or even a drawing of it, I just feel like I—I I feel like that's me. Honestly, that's how I feel. Like that's me. Um, like that's the essence of my soul, right there in that animal. And so, this adolescent female blue washed up on the shore of California. Um, 14 months ago. And I saw it online and a dear friend of mine, Nakaya, uh, went and visited and she posted photos. And I was just, I mean, I just, you know, remember that moment of seeing the photos on Instagram and being like, oh, I want to go. I want to see her. I want to pay my respects to her. Um, But it's like a four hour drive from where I live. And I was like, I can't leave my baby for that long, you know, still nursing. I also don't want to strap her into a car seat for that long. And, you know, I'm just just not going to go see this whale, I suppose. Um, even though I can't imagine like an experience I would love more than sitting with a blue whale, even if it is its rotting, decomposing body. Um, you know, and then over time it just became bones. And I was like, oh, I really want to go <laughs> sit with those bones. And then because of the shingles that I had last month, two months ago now, I'm kind of at the height of that. And after I got the diagnosis and realized that it is an illness like so many that is brought on by deep stress, I was just like, you know, I need a getaway. We need to get away. I need to go on a trip that's not for work. I um, need to actually do something fun and just started looking at like seaside Airbnbs and basically everything was so booked for the summer, but we found two nights, two nights in the little town of Bolinas in California. And I was like, this looks perfect. You know, we booked it and we were all so excited. Me and my husband and oldest daughter were like, oh my God, we're having a getaway!" And, um, and then I was talking to my friend Nakaya and telling her I was going and she was like, oh, that's where the whale is. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize that. And it turned out, you know, it was like a five minute walk from our place. So, Um, we went, it was a bit of a trek down the beach, you know, made much more cumbersome by a toddler, but actually Nixie was having so much fun that it was, it was really joyful being at the ocean. The whole trip was incredibly joyful and just the antidote that I needed. But, um, both days we were there, we went and we sat with the piece of bone that's left, which I learned when I got home is like the base of the skull of the whale. It's basically like the equivalent of the atlas bone in the human body, and it was just giant. And you know, the second day we dug a lot around it. My sister was there the second day because her husband, who was recently in the paragliding accident, I talked about this in the intro to the last episode. Um, he had just been moved to a rehabilitation center in San Francisco, and so it was just like an hour drive for her to come up, and it was so nice. So nice to have her there. And so having an extra pair of hands, we just really dug it out, dug it deep, and it's almost in like the shape of an anchor. Um, you can see photos of it on my Instagram, instagram.com slash medicine. The first photo is of me like leaning on it, kind of hugging it and smiling at the camera. And I, it's hard to put into words just how profound and like holy of an experience it was to be there with with the bones of this blue whale and not coincidentally um, I am doing a lot of healing work right now around sort of that area in my body the atlas the base of the skull um, and especially how it connects with like the back of the tongue and through the throat and my jaw clenching issues and just so many pain issues that I'm really working hard to heal right now And then of course the uh, shingles was in my head too. So just all felt connected, serendipitous, um, really beautiful. And just, it was really, truly healing to be there. When I look at those photos, I'm like, I didn't realize how happy I was until I see the photos and I'm just like beaming and have this peaceful look in my eyes. And I don't feel peaceful all that often, you know, having a toddler and another child and running a business and just living life. It's really hectic and chaotic. And despite all my efforts towards self-care, I am chronically under-rested and my nervous system is shot (laughs) most of the time. So in this interview today, Cammie and I talk about women and rest, and I really um, appreciate having those conversations and I just wish we were talking about it more and more often. I think this is now the third intro in a row where I'm going to reference the Ayurvedic practitioner I've been seeing. Hello, Michael. Um, but he told me, you know, that most of the women he sees are are chronically under rested and that it definitely like women need more rest and sleep than men and get less, it seems. So I think this is a huge issue in our culture and something I would love to see people talking more about and something I'm always trying to get more sleep into my life. It's just really hard, really hard with a little one. Like my nervous system is so wired into hers that, you know, I usually wake up a few minutes before she does. And there's just no possibility of even sleeping in. My body is so wound up with hers and ready to get up and take care of her. And she nurses first thing in the morning still. Um, And then I try to go to bed early, but man, it's so hard around the solstice with the days being this long Um, and my body just can't do it. But I try and I have been meditating like I talked about last time. That's really been amazing too. Um, So speaking of (laughs) self-care, this is kind of hard to talk about, but one of my biggest forms of self-care is something that I feel really like fiercely protective of is boundaries, uh, boundaries around my time and my availability to internet strangers um, who want something from me or who want to connect. And it's, again, it's really hard to talk about. And I've talked about various aspects of this before on the show, and I've definitely talked about on Instagram before, but I cannot be there. I can't be what people want me to be. I can't be what everyone wants me to be. And um, I'll, sometimes people bring up conversations in my online spaces, like in the uh, Medicine Stories Facebook group or on my Instagram or something that are like, I don't like what you said in that last podcast. What does everyone else think? Oh, yeah, I don't like what she said either. I've liked every episode so far, but I didn't like this one. Yeah, why would she do that? Why didn't she say this? She should have said this. She should have done that. And it's like, are we serious? Are we serious with this? Like, how? where's the space and compassion for me as an actual human being? And uh, one reason that I'm talking about this right now is not to be a bitch, not to complain and like sound all superior, but because this next thing I'm about to say is like one of the most foundational, um, beliefs and guideposts in my life. And it should be for yours too. And that is that this is an aphorism, you know, this is an old saying trying to please everybody is the quickest path to failure. And this is really hard for women. And this has been very, very hard for me over the years Um, because we want to be liked. We want to be liked. And I want to help everyone. And I want to connect with everyone who wants to connect with me. I mean, I spent the first many, many years of having a social media presence, like absolutely responding to everyone, absolutely offering my help and my time for free because someone was hurting. And that's still my impulse. That will probably always be my impulse. But as time goes on, as my audience got bigger, but mostly, especially having a baby, having a baby, like my time is so limited. My free time is almost non-existent, like six, nine, if I'm lucky, maybe hours a week, I get to actually have space around me to think like a clear thought all the way through, Um, And really what I do at that time is I do this podcast. I conduct interviews. I prepare for interviews. I email people. I write out what I'm going to say in the intro, and then I record the intro and always say so much more than I'd planned to. Um, And then the rest of my time, I'm like intensively mothering and house cleaning and paying bills and shit like that, not to mention the whole medicine-making operation that my husband and I have going and we're about to release a whole bunch of new medicines and then I'll be shipping when I wish I could be doing the podcast or writing or doing something else. But so I don't have I just don't have time. I just literally physically can't um, respond to everyone and can't sit here thinking like, how can I make my podcast and what I say appeal to every single person who listens? I just I have no interest in doing that. At the, it, first of all, it's impossible. It would never actually work out. And I just, what is this thing we have that we get, like, angry when people we like have a different opinion than we do? And we feel, like, entitled to have them only ever do and say things that please us and that don't challenge our beliefs? That's, we just need to evolve beyond that stage of thinking. Um, So, yeah, I'm not... And, and another aspect of this too, something that I've seen my friend Mila talk about, she was the, um, the guest in episode two and somehow gets brought up in like almost every episode, it seems like either the intro or the interview. Hi, Mila, you're like the fairy godmother of the Medicine Stories podcast. Um, so she does a lot of like social justice activism and posts, and she's always hearing from people who are like, Why don't you talk about this aspect of it? Did you hear about what happened here? What about this? You're not focusing enough on this, and that is something that I've been hearing a little bit about lately too. Like the um, podcast with Susie Hazen, where we talked about veganism versus meat eating, and people were like, "I can't believe they didn't talk about this aspect of that, or why didn't they cover this thing?" And like, I don't, I didn't sit there before that podcast was recorded and say, "Okay, we're going to cover every possible aspect of this giant." endless topic I can't physically do no one can mentally there's energetically there's it's just that's not I'm not like writing a book entitled every single topic of every single aspect of this one big topic covered like I'm never going to do that no one's ever going to do that so just lower your expectations of other people and like um build up your own boundaries and your own defenses and know that trying to please everyone is the quickest path to failure because it sure is. And be true to yourself. That's what I'm doing with this show. I am being true to myself. I'm following what interests me. I'm talking about what interests me and I'm sharing my actual real life stories and interviewing people who are willing to do the same in a spirit of openness and vulnerability and love. And so thank you for being here and thank you for supporting the show and thank you for continuing to listen even if it challenges your beliefs sometimes. Like that's a good thing. When I notice my beliefs being challenged, like I don't tune out and I don't get on social media to complain about it. I perk up and I try to figure out what, what, why, why is this uncomfortable for me? Um, is it truly because I really think that they are wrong, or is it because of some old, deeply entrenched belief that is in me that maybe I've never noticed before and that I need to shine some light on and reflect on? Um, okay, let's talk about today's interview. And you know, it's it's actually also serendipitous that um, all this is coming up right now. As I'm recording the interview for this, because Cami, in her, in the year long apprenticeship that I did with her, that was called Cultivating the Herbal Medicine Woman Within back in 2007, she really instilled in us this idea of, um, <sighs> not giving yourself away for free, not giving your time or your knowledge away for free. You know, I, I had never thought about that before, but she specifically said like, herbalists tend to do this and women tend to do this. And please charge what you're worth, charge what your medicines are worth. If this ends up being the path you follow, um, like n- know your worth and have discernment, which is kind of a softer word for boundaries about how you move in the world and how you move as a woman, and in this case, an herbalist in the world. So yeah, again, Cami to me, she's just so far beyond an herbalist. She's just an incredibly wise woman, and, and that's reflected in this interview. So some of the things we talk about are the strong childhood memory and later teenage crisis that started Cammy on the plant path. Recalling the era when being an herbalist was an underground, misunderstood, frowned upon thing, you never know where or when the seeds you plant will sprout, metaphorically speaking, bringing information to the culture so that it can later be mirrored back to our children or other loved ones by someone other than us, gather the women and revive the art of home herbalism unspoken soul transmissions from the ancestors how to extract ancestral stories from your living relatives i recommend you start today um what you are seeking is also seeking you Cammy's brilliant observation that right now we are downloading decades of ancestral information and it's causing information overload. So asking ourselves, when do we know enough? Like when when do I know enough to be confident to move forward? And an ancestral strategy for simplifying our herbal learning. And also the idea that you don't have to know everything and too much information clogs the channels. Um, And then stepping into our power as bleeding women, healing menstrual shame and a look at the learned cultural practices of plugging and drugging, which in the long run just repress and create more pain, Um, hostile hygiene and the menstrual taboo. The first blood. What was your experience? What did your lineage pass down to you? How your blood and bleeding time reflects your state of health back to you? Harnessing the energy of your moon time, enhanced perception, clarity around boundaries. Oh, there we go again. Awareness of emotion. Uh, menstruation is a truth serum. Sensitivity is what's going to save us. Women, exhaustion and rest. One small change that has dramatically reduced PMS symptoms for many of the women Kami and I know, including myself, and returning to our innate body wisdom. Um, Cammy has graciously supplied an awesome bonus for Patreon supporters. It is a 54-page, full-color, beautiful PDF entitled Edible and Medicinal Flowers. So this, as always, is available to patrons at the $2 a month level and up. You can head over to patreon.com/slash medicine stories to become a patron or if you already are one to download this beautiful ebook. And you can see, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff there at this point. A lot of great bonuses and a lot of great bonuses coming up too for just two bucks a month. Um, some people become patrons and then write me saying, Where do I access the bonuses? And there's a uh, tab that says posts somewhere. So I just want to put that out there because it seems to be something a lot of people miss. Um, You know, once you become a patron, find the posts tab and you'll see lots and lots of good stuff. Um, I don't remember if I already said, patreon.com slash medicine stories. There's also the medicine stories Facebook group that you are more than welcome to come join us in. Uh, One... unexpected bonus of that group for me personally has been that I I have a question, you know, that people who want to join have to answer so so I know that people are for real that they're familiar with the podcast that these are interests of theirs cuz you do get a lot of like spammy requests and weird stuff um And some people just put like, you know, a one word answer, which is fine with me, like medicine or podcast. And that's great. I know you're for real. But um, some people write like whole things about how about about this show and about um, the idea of medicine stories in general. And I love that. And I just wanted to read that today someone wrote, this podcast changed my life. It rescued me from some very dark corners of the soul. (laughs) And that's. Uh, that just couldn't mean any more to me because I've I've been in those dark places and I think we all have. And um, these topics and this medicine is what has brought me back to myself and pulled me out of the darkness many times. And um, I've just always, like for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to share stories and writings and ideas with people. Like, in high school, in my journal, I wrote, and I found this in a later college journal too. I hope when I die, someone finds my journals and reads them and feels less alone. <laughs> so you can imagine how I felt when blogging came along, it's a little before I was really on social media, or maybe they're both at the same time, like back in the MySpace days. Um, and I could kind of do exactly that. You know, I could write out what I was going through and share my stories, and it would touch people. And that's how I started creating community online um, 11 years ago now. And that's what's led me here. And now having this, this avenue, the podcast to do it through, which is incredibly powerful, you know, to have someone's voice in your ear. And for me, again, as a super busy mom, like writing just takes too much time right now. Even though writing is my true heart and I can't wait to get back to it. I can just speak so much more um, so much more like volume of ideas and words when I'm speaking rather than writing. it's not as like precise or clean as I prefer things to be as a writer, but it works, you know? And like I've said before, this is an imperfect podcast made by an imperfect person for other imperfect people. Um, but just getting some feedback like that means a whole lot. And it reminds me, I don't think I've ever asked this on the show before, even though I know so many other podcast hosts do it. Um, If you feel so called, I would love it if you left an iTunes review. There are some amazing ones, amazing ones. I love when I sign in and see that there's a new one. And, you know, it really does help bring people to the show. So, okay, let me tell you a little bit about Cami, um, and then we'll get right into the interview here. Cami McBride is the author of The Herbal Kitchen, highly recommended, and creator of Herbal Kitchen Remedy Solutions, an online course that demystifies the world of herbal medicine and empowers people, empowers people to use their spice rack for herbal self-care to prevent illness and take care of common ailments. Cammy's passion for herbal medicine was propelled by an excruciating surgery that removed a tumor from her brain when she was 19 years old. Her surgeon told her that the tumor was a side effect of a medication she was taking and to stop taking the drug. So we talk more about that in the interview. Talk about a wake-up call. Awakening from the slumber of a standard American diet upbringing that was steeped in a drug solution approach to health, she started searching for a better way. Cammy is a nineteen ninety-one graduate of the Southwest School of Botanical Medicine and has developed and taught herbal medicine in the complementary and alternative medicine department at University of California, San Francisco School of Nursing, and in the Integral Health Master's Degree program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Her passion to help people not have to needlessly suffer as she did has resulted in over 30 years of helping thousands of families learn to use herbs and natural remedies to prevent illness, take care of common ailments, and protect their health naturally. Cami teaches sustainable wellness practices and empowers people, people to revitalize their relationship with the plant world and use herbal medicine in their daily lives for home wellness care. Um, I will put links to Cammie's website, her book, her new Instagram account, which is Cami McBride, K-A-M-I-M-C-B-R-I-D-E I'm sending you there because she's new and she, um, deserves more followers. <laughs> And, and to our upcoming retreat as well. So these will be in the show notes. Um, this retreat is the 22nd annual Herbal Medicine Woman Retreat happening in Mendocino in Northern California in October. And I won't be there this year because I, my little one is still a little underseen. but I really look forward to attending this in the future kind of trying to figure out like, what's my yearly retreat going to be or my yearly um, herb conference, you know, and they all have their pluses and minuses as far as distance from me and cost and all that stuff. And um, this one's pretty close to me. And I, Adore Cammie and her work and it's just three nights like it just seems super doable for what my life is going to look like um, in the next few years as my little one remains little. So maybe I'll see you there in the future. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. And let's listen to this interview with my dear, dear teacher, Cammie McBride. Hello, Cammie. Welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to be
1: with you. I am truly honored to have you here because if it were not for you, I would not be here. I would not be doing the show. I wouldn't have the life I have in any way, really, if it weren't for you. You were my first herb teacher, and in many, many ways, I still consider you my most important. I talk about you all the time. I hearken back to what I learned in your class. So thank you so much for laying the foundation for me, for my whole life. (laughs) well, you coming to class
0: just allowed it all to unfold. It was meant to be. You're you're just such an amazing herbalist person. It's just it's been it's just a pleasure.
1: Mm, Thank you. Um, So, you know, I like to start off these podcasts usually by asking the person how they came to be doing what they're doing. And I realized that I don't know your story. I don't know how you became an herbalist or someone who's I mean, it's beyond herbalism you're just you're so steeped in wisdom of the body and of food and landscape, and yeah how how did how did you become and you're one of like the pioneers too I would say you're you know it's herbalism is just exploding in popularity right now, but you've been there longer than most of us who are now using hashtag plantwitch on instagram <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i feel like i provided a bridge you know um when i decided to be an herbalist like that wasn't in the that wasn't a, it wasn't an option, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and or, nobody had ever heard of it. And I went on my first herb walk when I was eight years old, my my grandfather was um, a naturalist. And he said, the problem with kids these days is they don't spend enough time in nature. <laughs> you know, And that was in 1966. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he started one of the first kids camps you know, now there's kid camps everywhere, but he started a kids camp, a nature kids camp. And I loved him and I was at that kids camp every day that it was happening all summer for years. Wow! he he would hire um people in the we lived near uc davis and he would hire um kids that were in the botany department and have them come and do herb walks with the kids at his nature camp oh (laughs) my gosh i know it was designed it was destined so i went on my first herb walk when i was eight years old and you know I grew up with a lot of violence in my family, and so I have a lot of gaps. Like, there's a lot I don't remember, but I'm telling you, that herb walk is like tunnel vision. I can just see straight back to that (laughs) moment, learning about yellow dock and um, red root, and just, and it just, it was like, the 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 the, you know the heavens opened and I was just like what is this what is this oh my gosh I've been around these plants all these years and I didn't know and that was it I just ever since that moment I was always looking for which plant what's going on what it you know it just it got put in place when I was eight and then when I was um when I was 19 I had um surgery (sighs) That was, um, I had, I developed a tumor on my pituitary gland that was the result of taking a medication. Wow. So at 19 years old, I, they had to basically cut open my head and get into there and get that tumor out. And when I was in the the doctor's office, you know, he said, you know, this is, this is, You know, this is the result of this medication and blah, blah, blah. And so at a very young age, I was that statistic. You know, when when you read that little um, big (laughs) pull out of what the possible side effects are or on the commercial and they say, oh, be careful, it could Mm -hmm. cause da, 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 or death. Well, I was that. And so at 19 years old, it was just like, oh my gosh, I looked around, all my elders were on medications, all of them, that I, I loved them all. And then I would pull out their medications, I would read that the, all the possible side effects. And I remember just sitting down and looking at my grandfather's medications one day and just asking myself, isn't there another way? There has got to be another way. And asking that question, um, you know, it's like the universe heard that question, and it wasn't too long after that that I somehow found myself at the California School of herbal Studies with Rosemary Gladstar and Jane Bothwell, in you know 1986, and that was it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and never back. And it, I, I I landed there. A friend was going to school there. She's like, oh my gosh, you got to come, you got to come. I was like, oh. So I went on. It was it was spring break. I was going to San Francisco State University. I went there on spring break. And I just was so blown away. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go back to college. My parents were just like, you are going back to college. So I went back, I finished college. <laughs> and then a w- like a week afterwards, I went back to California School of Herbal Studies. And I just started studying herbal medicine. And I remember at one point, my my grandparents and my dad, they sat me down. They were like, we sent you to college. And I was like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm studying herbal medicine. <laughs> My dad didn't talk to me for like six months. Wow. (laughs) You know, it wasn't it wasn't an option. It was not, you know, I mean, my family was really distraught. They were like, what are you doing? Mm
1: -hmm. You know?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I remember uh, Matthew Wood talking about up until about that point. I think he said like the late 80s or 90s. Anyone who was in herbalism at all felt like they had to be super underground. Like it was still scary, he said, to be an herbalist during that time. If you were making a living and dispensing um, you know, medicines to people. Right.
0: Well, nobody knew what it was. I mean, it was like, what is that? What, what are you talking about? Are you, you know, it just had so much... I mean, it's hard for people to realize what it was like, you know, there were two herb books at the library, mm-hmm. you know, you go to the <laughs> library and there are like two books on herbs. <laughs> you know, there were, you just, it, it, you just can't imagine what the way things are now, what it was like and how you were just, um, you were just like a, you were a weirdo, mm-hmm. you know? And you, you, so I just, yeah, there was a lot of hiding. I didn't tell people what I was doing and, you know, yeah, it was very underground, and you didn't like put out pictures and posts and hashtags. <laughs> yeah. You waited to see if you could tell somebody what you were doing.
1: Yeah. You know? um, up until your visit to the California school, had you had you yet connected the dots between the plants you were interested in and looking for other means of healing um, as herbalism could be the bridge between those two? Had you thought of that yet?
0: Well, I had... I had a few glimpses here and there. I had a few glimpses, but it wasn't until, you know, I mean, it happened to me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it happened to me and it, it was really traumatic. And, and that's when, you know, the stake was put in the ground. However, um, I had a fourth grade teacher that, you know, she had, she, she, uh, taught us a nutrition class (laughs) and she taught us about soda and what soda did. Mm -hmm. And I love that woman. And, you know, I came (laughs) home and I was like, we're not drinking soda. (laughs) So I had a few, um, few brushes with people in our lives that ate organically. And why did, why was their food so different? You know? And also my dad was an abalone diver. We spent a lot of time up at, in Mendocino and we ate a lot of really good, great wild food. We foraged, we um, ate fish and abalone, you know, and then we would come home and eat pop tarts and TV dinners, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was very confusing. But when we were up in Mendocino County, I was exposed to you know people weaving their own clothes and all the organic gardens that were up there in the seventies That's the first time I ever saw yogurt. you know there was no <laughs> yogurt in the stores there was no yogurt in the stores mm. in the seventies and early Just think about that
1: pre yo play <laughs> there
0: there you know yeah now there's like ten different kinds, so I had these little little you know so never underestimate just you know, even if somebody just seems like they are just not on board, just even a little exposure, if you can expose a child or a kid just to one herb or one herb walk or one bit of information, you never know where that seed will grow.
1: Mm
0: And so that's what we're, you know, we're, we're trying to do that with our children. Now it's like, just, you know, if you can just even get them a little bit of exposure, you never know how it will be picked up.
1: Yes. Um, that soda story reminds me of something I remember so clearly from from the class that I took with you, which was um, a 13 month long, like full year apprenticeship course. And so my now almost 12 year old was a baby and then one and your boy was four at the time, I think. Yeah. Or, yeah. And I remember you telling us that, you know, you would talk to him about high fructose corn syrup and not eating it. And you said that one day he was like yelling, I need high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is good for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. You
0: know, I mean, and so that's one of the goals, right? For me, my wish, my dream has been to bring this into the culture so that it's mirrored back to my child by someone mm. besides me mm-hmm. because when I, at that time it was still pretty much me all around me where I was you know and I wanted to reach enough people that there would be a cultural shift and that it could start to be mirrored in the culture not just with me because your children sometimes they don't like to listen to you
1: <laughs> that is so brilliant <laughs> yes Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I remember, too, you took us, you took us to the California School of Herbal Studies. And I remember that garden so well. And I remember the wild, the wild herb walk that you took us on and the lands beyond the the garden as well. Mm. So special.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've really picked it up. You're doing a lot of really wonderful things and helping a lot of people. It's really beautiful. Mm.
1: Oh, thank you, Internet, because you also you built your whole business pre internet, like you, you have been teaching people in person and running these workshops. And yeah, how how has it been for you to sort of make the transition into internet teaching and sharing information?
0: Well, it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's a different world, right? It's definitely a different world. And, you know, when people would come to my class before, they knew me. You know, they had seen me mm-hmm. or they had been referred personally. So it's a little different online because people can end up with you that have no referral or connection. You know, mm-hmm. so there is a I, – I, I do see, like, there's. it takes some time to – Develop that trust, but it's amazing to be able to reach a lot of people. And as you know, um, being online, it, it, things have to be highly organized. And so, in in some aspects, it's uh, my work has become more potent since I've gotten online because I've taken those you know 21 years of teaching um, in lot in you know in, in person and then added this level of organization that's just like amazing that I would never have done.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to make it really clean and concise for the online audience. And, and to just,
0: and, and organized, you know, just really, and so I I went a lot deeper with many things that I wouldn't have gone deeper with. And I think my teaching is better Mm -hmm. now with the combination of those two things.
1: Um one other memory that I want to share from that time. I I'm, I'm curious if you remember. <laughs> oh, of course. What you said to me at lunch. I love my I love all my students. I love you. I love you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know I could feel it. And that that love and concern totally changed my life when you sat down with me during lunch during like the third or fourth month of class. Do you remember this? I can see it in my mind. <laughs> you said to me you're vegan, aren't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, just for the record, I'm. Not, I don't usually approach things that way. I usually am very kind and loving, and I start you with gratitude.
1: You, you were, you were in a crisis. I know, I know, and you saw that in me, and you were willing to just be real and straight and look me in the eye and say, "This isn't working for you right now." And and I and you were right, and I knew it, and I needed that permission so badly. <laughs>
0: yeah again I don't usually just like
1: bust people you know but it was like
0: I could see that you were going down yeah so I had to be willing to risk you know and I knew you weren't going to come for a consultation you know you it was just your life with whatever and so Mm -hmm. I just needed to like get in there Mm
1: -hmm. and somehow (laughs) you know
0: somehow I knew I could with you you know
1: right
0: and it was so amazing the trans your transformation was incredible
1: yeah, I mean, Kami, it really completely changed my life. I knew I wasn't doing well. And I knew I didn't want to be vegan anymore. But I was in a relationship with a person who felt very strongly about it and who did not want me to be my own person or free in any way. Awesome. Wasn't breastfeeding. I was breastfeeding. Yeah, I was postpart- I was seven months postpartum when yeah. that class started. Right. You were breastfeeding. So I was just wasting away. <laughs> she was sucking the life out of me, literally. And I wasn't getting the nutrition to replenish those nutrients. And, um, and even coming back to my home and to my partner with the authority of you, you know, really made it settle better for both of us and just completely changed my life. So I don't Aww. know if I've ever thanked you for that. Thank you. Oh, Thank you for being there. Um, and And I have to say too, yeah, i I could tell that you you know that you saw it and mean that you knew I'd be receptive, and you that actually really taught me a lesson too about um, not holding back when I feel a similar energy with someone when I know they need something that I can give them, and even though it might be like breaking a social taboo or crossing a line in some people's minds that it's actually something I should offer at that moment mm-hmm. Good, yeah, okay. <laughs> I love this. I love reliving that class because I, I mean, that was such a chaotic year of my life. I was so lost and torn and depleted. And those Sundays in your classroom were so soul nourishing for me. I just love them. I loved gathering with the women and it really left an, an indelible mark on me and the desire to keep gathering with women to make medicine and to learn about plants and health.
0: I'm so glad. That's the, that's the dream, right? It that is. Have, I mean, that was my dream was that I had was to gather the women and revive the art of home herbalism mm-hmm. so that we could raise up the next generation to know how to care for themselves while loving and caring for the earth.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to ask you about your, you've mentioned this connection with your grandfather. That's so incredible. And I love that he nurtured that in you. Um, I, mean, I interviewed Stephen Harrod Buner on episode eight, and we talked about his connection with his physician great grandfather and how there was just really this sort of unspoken like soul transmission Stephen feels like and um, I love knowing I love seeing these ancestral patterns that people have so I'm curious how how you connect with your ancestors you said that you you do genealogy research you've done a DNA test you engage in ritual work like how do each of these approaches connect you to them
0: well I mean I I love knowing about my ancestors when my when my grandfather was uh, the last two years of his life I went and lived near him, you know, all his children, all his grandchildren, everybody's working. And, you know, and I was just like, I am going to go help him. And, you know, it wasn't good for my, I mean, again, it was, I kind of got flack for it. Like, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) but we would, we went and visited all the graveyards we talked about, you know, like I just am holding the ancestry for my family. Mm -hmm. Like I would, that it was given to me from him. And, and, So I write letters sometimes, I write notes, I wear things from them, I have all of my great-great-great-grandmother's lace on my altar, and I try to, you know, I just try, I try to connect. And they were, you know, they were harvesters, I mean, they they harvest, you know, we had an, um, a biannual ritual of harvesting mushrooms where my great grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, my cousins, I mean, people came out of the woodwork when we would go mushroom hunting and they knew that, you know, they knew how to hunt mushrooms. They were Scottish. Um, and so I can just remember these Feasts, these incredible feasts after the first rain, every spring and every fall, where my family would get together and just eat mushrooms, (laughs) like piles of mushrooms. And that stopped when I was about fourteen. The great, the overgrazing, the, you know, just the destruction. Like, you know, we couldn't find the, you know, the mushrooms left. Mm. And I can just remember my grandfather talking about how. His favorite thing was just when he was out there um, harvesting all by himself in the field. I just thought, oh, yeah, that the love of the earth. It was never spoken like, oh, we are people that love the earth. But the love of the earth, it was just, it was given to me. You know, I mean, that, that transmission happened. And I just kind of started to, what I did was put more language to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so beautiful. I think like so many people, I just yearn for that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and you are probably like your generation, your age, one of the last people to get that direct earth relationship transmission from your ancestors. Well, I mean,
0: it depends on your lineage, you know, it just really depends. I mean, some people it's still intact in their lineage. A lot of, a lot of people it's not. And, you know, I mean, we were able to drink, I mean, I live in Northern California. I grew up near where you live now. And we were able to drink water out of the creeks when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. like we would just go down to the creek and drink water. And that stopped when I was um, about 13 or 14. And so it's like, yeah, you know, what does that mean to like, not be able to drink the water, and not to have that connection? You know, I mean, we just started to pollute everything so badly. And so... Yeah. And so that's, it's, we can, we can, but we can pick that back up that it it hasn't gone away. You know, the earth is still the harvest is on. (laughs) (laughs) We just need to remember and remember our connection. It's our heritage and start to um, activate that, that way of being where we, we, we say hello to the earth. We open that communication pathway and, um, and, and, you know, recreate our culture. Mm. as one that's in relation with the earth
1: do you specifically um work with herbs or with food in an ancestral tradition or as a way of honoring your ancestors
0: i do yes i have many harvests that um oh you know like when i used to harvest the figs um with my grandparents and, you know, there's just a lot of wild foods that we use to harvest together and eat together. And when I, when those, and there are foods that, you know, like, yeah, that, that aren't, that we don't eat all year. And when we eat them, I honor them and I remember them you know, and I really, and I talk about them and I cook There, it's, you know, I've got a couple recipes <laughs> and it's, yeah, you, you know, your, your ancestors, they made it because they knew how to use food and herbs. And so even if you can find one thread, you know, one recipe, one herb, and you can just kind of try to relate to that and think about that and and make those recipes and think about how how they made those recipes right my great grandmother she cooked on you know she cooked on a wood stove right she had to feed the fire and cook and she made her medicine she when apparently like the word was when any child would cough you know they would there were lots of kids and and so if any kid would cough on the, the pan of water and onions went on the stove and she made onion syrup and she made everybody drink it I mean how smart is that right she's like there's one cough I don't want this cough to spread through the pack everybody's drink everybody's getting the medicine now mm.
1: <laughs> right so I make that syrup I think about her you know That is so amazing that, you know, that, you know, this one specific story, this one specific plant that was used, I think, um, you know, that's, again, more than a lot of us have. Um, Well, it took a while to get it. What I would say to people is
0: start asking, is there anybody that's alive that knew your grandmother or, and just start telling them because they're not going to remember at first, like it took several years. I mean, maybe even like seven years. I had started asking. Everybody's like, "No, no, I don't remember that." And then finally, one day, my grandpa just came out with this
1: story, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm.
0: oh, "I would have liked to have known that before." But thank you.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That
0: like came out with it. I'm like, duh. You don't think I'm like interested in that?
1: <laughs> yeah, but for them, it's so. um, Yeah, it's not even something that seems extraordinary. Right. Yeah. And I have, that's always my first advice to people, too, who are wanting to to find their ancestors is like right now, like today, call up the oldest living members of your family and ask questions. And if you can go visit them then and bring a recorder, do that too. get all the basics, the names, the dates, but then also ask for stories, ask for stories while these people are alive, because when they're gone, those stories are gone. And the thing is, you have to keep asking because
0: they're not going to give it to you the first time.
1: Right. Yep.
0: (laughs) A lot of times it's like, it's a process. Yes. They don't just like go, oh, here's a download of all the stories. You got to hang out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. I recently had an experience with that too. I have. Um, so I had a really powerful dream years and years ago. I was sleeping next to my grandma, Inie, and um, her name is Inez. And I had this dream that I looked down into my right wrist and there was like this hole drilled in it. And I reached into the hole and I pulled something out and it was a scroll. And when I unfurled the scroll, it had the name William Newton Wright written on it. And oh. he he was her grandfather. I knew his son, who was her father, who was my great grandfather when I was little. And, you know, I've always just been so curious about him. Why was it his name? What did that mean? Um, I was very connected to her in her life. And I love that I was sleeping next to her when I had this dream. And um, so years ago, I connected on ancestry.com with a cousin of mine named Ken Wright. And I asked him, Do you know anything about William Newton? I had this really strong dream about him. And I'm just so curious why it was him. I can't figure anything out. And, um, the only thing I could figure out from his World War One draft rejection card was that he had a, quote, dead liver. And he died relatively young in his late 40s. And I've asked Ken this a few times over the years. And just recently, he emailed me back and said, you know, I do remember once an old timer telling me that as Newton lay dying, um, they covered his body in herbs to send him off. Mm. Mm. And I was mm-hmm. like. you know like this that is so meaningful to me that is so meaningful to me there they were in arkansas in the 1800s i just i love that rich as someone who's also worked in death and death rituals i just love knowing that you know these people were doing that and of course it sparked my curiosity too like what plants would they have used what plants grow in art like looking all this stuff up and um, i was just so glad that he suddenly remembered that little bit of information that was so meaningful to me
0: Right. It just came out. That's what, you know, it, right. It's so on the, the other side of my family, my, you know, it had been years I'd been studying herbal medicine. And one day my mom's sister was like, Oh yeah, my grandmother, she did that. And I was just like, Oh my God, you guys, haven't you been paying attention to me? But turns out she made, she used whorehound mm. and she made whorehound cough syrup. And, and also they said that she she had a lot of chickens and she used to treat her chickens. They're like, oh, yeah, she was always doing some kind of poultice for her chickens. <laughs> I was like, what herb, what herb? Mm-hmm. But it was like, so, you know, on my dad's side, I have onions. And on my mom's side, I have um, whorehound, right? Yeah. And it's just oh, it's so rich. and. and the other thing that happened is, so to, to really, um, you know, ask and keep asking. And then also just, you know, there might be things that that you don't even realize, like in the food, right? The herbs and spices in the food. Um, or, you know, I, one day my mom took my son for a walk and they came back and they were eating sour grass, you know, a sour grass, oxalis.
1: No. The okay. Oxalis is familiar.
0: Yeah. So it's like a little yellow flower that comes out in the spring. You know, I'm sixth generation to where we live. So there's the same plants that are there. And my son came back and he was chewing on sour grass. And I was like, Oh, you're chewing on sour grass. And my mom was like, yeah, I showed him how to chew sour grass. And I was like, Oh my gosh, my grand, my grandpa taught me how to chew (laughs) on sour grass. (laughs) Hmm. And my great, I remember my great grandma, was just like, Oh, this is an ancestral remedy right here, Hmm. you know? And I just, I had never made the connection. And so if I hadn't have been answering or if I hadn't have been asking the question, that would have been gone. That thread would have been gone. So it's by asking the question that the, I, I hold that question, and so I saw it when it was happening.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so here was my son receiving an ancestral plant relationship, you know, ritual that I it would it, it could have just you know it could have just gone by the wayside. And so we have to catch those threads now, because for
1: you know there are so a few threads here and there, but boy, we got to pick them up, you know. Yeah, that's that's how I define magic on this show is um, when you are paying attention to something or looking for it, it shows up. And it reminds me of that Sanskrit phrase, um, tat tavam asi, what you are seeking is also seeking you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one of the things I I'm, um,
0: <clears throat> you know, I I see with so many um, of my students and online is this sense of like overwhelm. And, um, there's so much information, there's so much to digest, you know? And so one of the things that's happening when, as we continue to talk about this ancestral relationship is that I think what's happening is we are trying to basically download generations of knowledge in a short Mm -hmm. amount of time. Wouldn't you, wouldn't Mm -hmm. you say, Mm right? Yeah. Just all the data, all the information, all the blogs. And it's like, what about this? What about this? The thing is, is that herbalism is a generational art. It takes lifetimes. And and I think a lot of the anxiety and overwhelm comes from we're just trying to pick up what was what was gathered in, in, you know, generations. And so I feel like being able to connect with even one ancestral remedy you know, if you can find it even in a rest, even if it's celery seed in the, or mustard seed in the, um, like my family makes corned beef and cabbage, they're Irish, to, you know, my mom's side. Even if you can just find one herb like that and try to connect through it, it for me, what that does is it helps things calm down. Because you, you, you the, when you have that connection through your family line, it goes deeper. And you can kind of relax a little bit and be like, okay, I can just be okay with knowing these few herbs mm-hmm. for, you know, studying this for a while. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, really taking the time to try to find those threads, it helps us to kind of, it's a, it's a kind of an antidote or a bomb for that overwhelm.
1: Mm hmm kind of takes us out of that um, like very Western rational mindset that so many of us come to herbalism with, and we think we have to memorize long lists of herbs and very overwhelming. It is people,
0: you know, that's the, it's, I think it's the issue of our time right now. like in, When I started, there wasn't enough information. And now we, you know, data clogs us up <laughs> until you can move it into your body and into your life. It it kind of it does create overwhelm and kind of a sense of of like being clogged up. So I feel like this this, this conversation we're having about you know connecting with our ancestral, even if it's just one little thing, there's like a, a a you know it's like we don't have to know it all. We don't have to know everything. I mean I've even talked to some herbalists that are teaching for you know longer than I am, and they I've heard them also talk about this like oh I need to know more.
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah. I fell into that trap. (laughs) When when
0: do we know? So I'm working on this. When is it that you know enough? Mm
1: -hmm. When if
0: if we dispense and come to our medicine with, oh, I don't know enough, it's not enough. How does that affect us, our nervous system, who we give the medicine Mm -hmm. to? When is it enough? Mm -hmm. When do we know enough? I, I was at a gathering last year with a with an herbalist who'd been studying who'd been teaching for you know longer than me like you know just has a has helped thousands of people and she said to, she said oh you know this such and such is coming out and this medicine and i feel like i don't know enough and i looked at her and i just thought oh my god you to Even you have this monkey on your back that you don't know enough. When is it enough? And so I started to go to, I've been really working on this the last couple of years. When do we know enough?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And can we just be satisfied with what we know and go deeper and that's what I, where I think just like even one thread of an ancestral remedy helps because we can go, okay, this is in my family line. Okay. I can go deep on this one.
1: <laughs> you know, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really needed to hear that, Cammie. Um, and like you said with it, that like kind of clogs the channels and those are like the very channels by which we are connecting with our ancestors, intuitively connecting with these plants and slowing down and simplifying by doing that. So there's a lot to be said for a lot of reasons to clear those channels and recognize when we know enough. Mm-hmm. And the different ways of knowing and different uh, means of gathering information. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we love our
0: medicine, but what does it mean if, if, if we're never quite satisfied, right? Totally. If in the back of our minds, there's this nag. Like I hit, I hit like a, a, a punk, you know, there's, it was like, I hit an oil well, this nag, you know, all the herbalists I talked to, they're like, there's like this nag that says, oh, you should know more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know more.
1: Yeah. And I love that you frame that as a nervous system overwhelm too, because I recently had shingles and it was so, you know, which is a nerve nerve disease it was so tied into um the stress of trying trying to teach at the good medicine confluence and trying to take as many classes as I could and learn and like perform and be in this world of herbalists and teachers and oh, I should have just been home resting and nursing my baby and I got shingles to teach me that lesson
0: mm, oh I'm sorry that's painful I'm sorry about that
1: yeah yeah it was in my head it was insanely painful <laughs> um, which is somewhat symbolic of what we're talking about now, too. Um, so speaking of, this is the perfect uh, segue into into what we really want to talk about today, which is menstruation and our moon time as a time when we are really an open channel for, for other ways of knowing. Um, so, okay, yeah, whew, I'm going to... You you said learning to love my menstrual blood was profoundly healing for my life. What what was that journey for you? How did you step into your power around your bleeding time?
0: Okay, so I'm gonna So I was at the California School of Herbal Studies and um I was in a class with Jane Bothwell and there's a pond there and we all walked up to the pond. And it was a really hot day and everybody was swimming and I was bleeding. I was on my period and um, Jane was like, why aren't you going swimming? It was like really obvious, you know, everybody was swimming. I said, well, I'm on my period and I don't have any, you know, tampons or whatever. And she just looked at me and she said, oh, well, you can just do like what we do. You can just go swimming and let yourself bleed and wash off and then get out. And, you know, I was raised in mainstream America, you know, I had been plugging up and drugging up, you know, just to to hide my blood as as much as anybody. And when she said that to me, I was just like, whoa, something I am like, wow. (laughs) It was like I had never heard that before. I didn't go swimming. I kind of went into shock. And I, I came back, you know, I spent the rest of the weekend at that, cl- at that class with her, but I don't remember anything about the class. I remember that moment. And I remember just thinking, wow, something is not hooked up right. And I just, like, that just became my focus for years like why did i have so much shame why why here was my teacher saying let your blood run down your leg and i felt why did i feel so bad about that and so i just i went after that i went after that and i just did tons of like internal and just journeying and therapy like what was the shame about where did that come from and i and I, I, just, I just went for it. And her and Rosemary, you know, they modeled that. And I was like, I like my teachers. I want to get to where they are. And, um, and so I did. I started to, you know, remember my first experience. I started to give it a different name. I started to um, talk about it, started to learn about it. And, and yeah, it's, um, it's a really a very, very big passion of mine is to help women um, love their blood
1: yeah, uh, it's it's been absolutely life changing for me when I embrace that. And I it was probably you, Cami. I I don't remember specifically, but I assume that we would have talked about this stuff in your class. And and then the year after my class, my sister took a class with you all about this, unlock the secrets of your female body. And um, she gave me all her notes, and I I still have them, and I still refer to them.
0: Mm, good, good. Yeah, it's one of the you know it's one of the pieces of the hearth. It's like the the um, you know your menstrual blood is the it's the source of life that what's it's what feeds the baby. And when we have shame around a body process, it creates a block, and that and blocks create pain.
1: Mm. Especially such an overwhelming body process, <laughs> you know, like a, a fourth of our lives as adult women, we're bleeding and then we're trying to pretend we're not and get on with life as usual it's insane Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it is insane yeah (laughs) Um, you will love this actually I was made fun of in Harper's Bazaar website for teaching women um, about taking care of themselves when they're bleeding and and staying home and resting when they're bleeding Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that was (laughs) <laughs> I was glad that that message was getting out there, though, for the people who read that awful magazine and website, just for them to know, even though it was being presented as look at this crazy hippie freak, um, that that's a possibility, you know, and that's, it's really something I've, I've modeled my whole life on since, since my first daughter was born is making sure I'm able to take care of myself when I'm bleeding. Yeah,
0: well, bleeding—you know, your our, our blood time is very in—you know, it's the the elevator goes down. It's a downward movement in the mm. body, and it's like getting in the elevator, and the elevator is going down, and we keep hitting the eleventh floor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> more coffee more coffee yeah
0: and you know ayurveda teaches us that it's all about you know getting into the getting into the flow like what what's the flow of what's happening with nature and trying to get into harmony with that and when we keep pushing the 11th floor button then we go to war with our body and that war has manifested as over 150 symptoms that more than you know 70% of american women deal with some conglomerate of those symptoms every month and those 150 symptoms um when you go to a medical doctor there is no etiology there is no take this pill if this is the cause take this pill and this will. they have no etiology it's just like well let's try to take a birth control pill and see if it helps you know and so those symptoms you know those are the the, the voice you know of the feminine just crying out saying we need to do this differently and you know drugging up and plugging up and and shaming the blood of life is is not how we're going to get to the next step and so we're using a lot of what i call hostile hygiene um, to try to um, stick with the taboo that our blood is to not be seen. And it's definitely not for anybody to know that we're bleeding.
1: And those products are often highly toxic to the body and make all the symptoms worse.
0: Right. And that's why I call it hostile hygiene. We think we're trying to take care of ourselves, but really, you know, there's all kinds of chemicals in those products and they're, you know, um, it's, it's, and, and it's, you know, if we can just start with, that's why I have women go back to their first blood because that's, what, that's where your transmission took place. Not just your first blood, but how your mother or the woman that raised you dealt with her blood. And it's a good thing, you know, it's a good time, uh, a good point to also look at your ancestral lineage and maybe you can't find any. Well, that tells you something also. Here you have this extraordinary thing, you know, cycle going on in your body that is really a template for health. Um, or how healthy it's, it's, you know, when you menstruate, it means you're you're healthy and by really looking at your blood and knowing how you're bleeding, you can, it can tell you about your health. And if nobody talked about it, that, that tells you something. So you, you look at you, you have to, we, we need to go back and look at how we were, what our inheritance was around this. And then again, look for the threads. You know, it's like, I always say like, you know, you have a a teenage girl and you're like, here, here's some, here's some, uh, here's some thread and here's some wood, make a loom and teach yourself how to weave. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it good to be mentored into something as complex as weaving the cloak of our life?
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Like, can, can we have some mentors, please? Some menstrual midwives, please? Mm-hmm. So that these girls can walk across that threshold upright. I mean, that threshold between 13 and 19 is when the highest statistics are of rape, sexually transmitted disease, right? Mm-hmm. Um, food eating disorders, like it's a really susceptible time mm. in our culture. And we need midwives for our girls.
1: Yes and as you say aunties and grandmas and friends of the mother and yeah a whole community beyond just the mom mm-hmm. um can you can you speak more about this idea of like your blood reflecting your health back to you Right
0: well if you're you know, you, your blood is your body releasing. It's a time of releasing and rejuvenation and rest. Your body's been building up. You know, it's a lot of work. You're creating a lining to feed a baby, right? And now you're going to let it go. And so how you let that go tells you, you know, if you're cramping and your muscles can't relax or you're too inflamed that it caught, you know, there's different reasons. But, it, you know, if the if the nervous system is um, too stressed, if the liver is overstressed, um, if you have you know, too, many, too much inflammation, it's going to cause trouble. And so that trouble tells you something. It's not just about the pain that goes with menstruation. Right. And so you can use what's happening at menstruation to give you an idea of, of what, where you might need to what you might might need to work on. And also the blood itself is the blood um, lighter. Is it heavier? Is it uh, is it hot? You know, the, the color of your blood, you know, if it's if it's clotty and thick and dark and stagnant, that tells you there's stagnation and it's in your in your body's having a harder time let letting go. Right. So it, it it just gives you this picture and and then you talk to women that stop bleeding. Okay. So menstruation, menstruation, your blood time, it means that you're healthy. When you lose your blood, not I'm not talking about menopause, but if you have an illness and you lose your blood, that it, it's you know it's it's a problem, you know, now you have to figure out how to get your blood back, right? So it it means that you're healthy, right? And I mean, you think about it, we spend, I mean, you know, three, five, six days a month (laughs) for 40 years, I mean, that's, or, or longer. And I mean, you're talking about bleeding for four or five years of your life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's a lot it's like can we embrace that (laughs) can we actually get to a point where we recognize that it is the blood of life that it is the source without men's without that blood no there would be no human life and is it can we get to a point where it's actually sacred Mm -hmm. and then relate to it from there
1: yeah. Um, I just want to clarify for the listeners that I said bleeding for a fourth of your life, because I always bleed for seven days. So it's like basically a fourth <laughs> of every month of my life. I'm there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I never thought about it in terms of years. So how can we, you call these the menstrual treasures, like what gifts can this time give us? How can we harness the energy of this time to grow, to, to know ourselves more, to heal our lives.
0: So one of the men, you know, there's, there are many menstrual treasures. We can't go into all of them, but, um, right today, but the menstrual treasures, you know, it is an, it's an internal space. And if you can take any downtime and you, you know, you may not be able to take a day off, you may not be able to, you know, everybody's lives are different, but if you can even just carve out one hour you know, and just be like, okay, I am going to just be with my body. I'm just going to let my blood flow and see what it feels like and see how I feel, you know, how do I feel, right? And what is up for me? Because it's a very, you know, your cervix opens and just like when we have a baby, your cervix opens. And so it's a very sensitive time. And so it's really, for me, it's like the divination time. It's the time where the truth telling, like what's really going on. Um, and if you can just take that time and really, it's it's a time when we're more sensitive. I mean, how many t-shirts have you, you know, you don't have to listen to me. I'm a PMS, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, oh, you're, oh, you're just, you're just on your period. Like, no, you know, if you say something while you're bleeding, nobody has to listen to you. you know? <laughs> I mean, we know all that cultural stigma. We are more sensitive during that time, and that's why so much comes out during that time, so much emotion. But if we can, if we can take the time and just tune in and listen and honor that sensitivity, because we live in a we live in a culture that shames sensitivity, and um, so we it's like sensitivity is a good thing. It's actually what's going to save us. and uh so you want to take the time to to not be downtown not be driving so that you can cultivate the treasure of the sensitivity that comes with menstruation because it is the sensitivity that allows you to be able to um read what a child needs without it being able to speak a newborn baby it's the sensitivity that we, that we have that you know what to do without anybody telling you. This is the sensitivity that that we need on the planet right now. And so during menstruation, you can take the time and actually cultivate it instead of you know stuffing it.
1: Mm-hmm. I want I want to reiterate what you said that we so often um, yeah just kind of brush away. Oh, I'm. Ugh, sh- she's just on her period. I'm on my period. It's, you know, I'll be fine later and think that the feelings and the emotions that we have during that time are invalid when really they are like more valid than the rest of the month. Because like you, like the veils are falling away and we are feeling our own truth and that can be painful and that can be hard, but this is the time when we become more aware of, of what's going on. Well, you say menstruation is our truth serum. So instead of poo-pooing what comes up during that time, listen to it and know it is valid and make an action plan for what changes need to be made in your life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for so many women also, they're, they're, you know, they're just so exhausted. And so everything can be amplified, like really amplified. And so that's also why it's a good time sometimes to just rest. You know, it's sometimes the rest will take care of some of the intensity, but it's, um, you know, it's a profoundly spiritual place um, from really which information on how to live your life can well up from within. It's not a logical place, but it's a place where we receive insight and inspiration, you know, after we've rested enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and menstruation, I one of the you know I talk about how it can really lead us back to our innate body wisdom.
1: Um, I'm gonna read your words to you here. <clears throat> You say the current primary practice in relation to menstruation is to plow through it as if nothing different is happening. The changing rhythm of our body cycle is not reflected anywhere in the calendar or work schedule. U.S. statistics show that more than 50% of American women are sleep deprived and we have epidemic rates of chronic fatigue and exhaustion related diseases. When we are just constantly on the go, we forget that optimum health requires that we have time to rest and restore
0: there you go. I'd say that's a platform, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's, yeah, it's kind of the next phase of my work. I mean, I've been teaching that for a long time. But I want to really, um, I feel like this is still really missing in the culture. And it's still a really, really big um, place where we're not making the 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 movement and the change that needs to be made and and we need to do it you know our girls they, they need this um
1: yeah yeah it's such important work and i do i do like seeing again like you know instagram culture and the internet <laughs> you know more and more women it just seems like any woman who hears a little bit of there's a different way to do this um it captures her attention, you know no one likes the way that we are that are that the over culture presents menstruation and the way that we 're supposed to plow through it. It does not work for any of us and that statistic over fifty percent of women are sleep deprived i mean we need we need we need other models we need other calendars we need other cycles of of being to to reign, yeah
0: yeah we do you know we i mean you think about it our 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 you know we embody the seasons of of life you know you have this waning and waxing embedded in your in your in your physiology and it's the same waning and waxing that happens with the moon with the the seasons with the tide with the diurnal cycle with all of the rhythms that are that we this planet that we live on we have it in our body and so it's something that it's it's already there the how to is already there in us you know, how to live a balanced life, like Google that, you know, like 437 books on it, right? Well, is the menstrual cycle at the center of that, you know, is following the ebb and flow of what's in that we embodied, that's where we start.
1: Um, I I just want to go back real quick to the to the hygiene piece, what did you call it?
0: I call it hostile hygiene. Yes,
1: that's such a good word. Um, I think a lot of women don't realize, let's just talk about like mainstream non-organic tampons real quick, that the vagina is a big mucus membrane and it is incredibly absorbent. And um, they're even developing drugs nowadays to be administered vaginally because the drugs get taken up into the body so much quicker than an oral dose. So when we are putting you know, those products right there, um, all, all the toxins and the pesticides get immediately absorbed into the body. It's so easy to forget just how permeable the vaginal tissue is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in my, in my practice, I, I just, it's, I've been amazed at how many women, um, that, you know, we, with, when dealing with PMS and, and pain, especially pain, um, how removing the tampons for so many women was the only thing they needed.
1: Mm.
0: Like so many women, I just thought, okay, we'll do that first. And then we'll do this and we'll do this. And when the tampons were removed, because the tampon holds the old blood inside, Right. And that Mm. blood carries a lot of heat and a lot of chi. You know, it's 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 full of, you know, it's full of energy and, you know, your body's trying to release it and then you hold it in there. It creates more heat, more tension, more pressure. And so by just allowing it to, you know, so again, I've it's been amazing how many women I've seen just that one thing make a difference for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I stopped wearing tampons 13 years ago and the incredible, um, cramps and headache and overall tension really subsided for the most part. And I want to go back to your initial story too. There is nothing more glorious feeling to me than swimming in a natural body of water while I'm free bleeding it mm-hmm. even I've even been to the Yuba River when I like on the first day when I always have some cramping and it goes away the minute I'm in the water and doesn't come back for the rest of the day.
0: Nice, So nice.
1: Yeah. So lucky to have lucky to have a, a body of water here that I can swim in. But um, you know, even taking a bath and just bleeding into it can feel so good.
0: Oh, I love the Yuba River.
1: <laughs> I know me too. We haven't been yet this summer. We have to go um, so I think, I think we're going to wrap up Cammie, but please tell people about your books and your online courses and where they can find you and know more about you.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm at livingawareness.com and my book is the herbal kitchen and that's, you know, so between those two spots, you you know, I am on Instagram now. Follow me. <laughs> Are you Cammie McBride or living awareness? Cammie McBride. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm available. I have a lot of great online courses, um, how to turn your kitchen into your apothecary and how to make er- herbal oils and herbal tea. You know, so yeah, I've got a lot of great herbal offerings online now, which has been really satisfying.
1: I am so glad that you do. I'm so glad that you do. I mean, the first, I don't know, as, as the internet became more of a thing, I just remember thinking, I hope Cami I hope Cammie jumps on this because I'm always telling people about you and most people can't drive to where you are, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I just I'm so happy to be able to connect more people with you and the herbal body oils. I just want to say for people who have been following my work for a long time who know that that's like my main my main thing is herbal body oils and how much they changed my life. That was all from you too, Cammy. I remember so clearly sitting in class. Maybe it was the last day kind of wrapping up and talking about things. And I remember like saying herbal body oiling has changed my life. And it was a profound realization for me when I discovered that just oiling my body with a whole plant infused oil would calm my nervous system down faster than any Lavender tincture, chamomile tea, or internally taking herbal preparation that I had tried. Mm,
0: I love that. It's so good. I'm so. And your oils are so beautiful.
1: Mm, I, I love them. It's really just absolutely the foundation of my self care and my highly sensitive nervous system being nourished and sort of protected on a daily basis. Uh, so people who are into that, yeah, Cami, Cami's your your girl for that. Um, so okay. wonderful to hear some of your stories too Amber yeah I'm so glad we're connecting I mean we just really haven't seen each other in 11-12 years so I'm really happy to be able to kind of like close this circle and tell you all the stories all my life stories and the way that you have um, influenced me in so many ways oh, thank you for having me today thank you so much for talking to me Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, Handmade Herbal Medicines, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, be sure to click the black banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, Which Magical Herb is Your Spirit Plant? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. Um, There's some cool rewards there, like exclusive content, free access to my herbal ebook and online course, and the ability to chat with me. I am a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding another project into my life with this podcast is a questionable move, but I'm also so excited about it and just praying that the Patreon will allow me the financial wiggle room to keep doing it. Another way that you can support if that's not an option is to head over to iTunes and subscribe and review the podcast. That would be super helpful. Thank you. And thank you to Marie Sue for providing the music that I use. That's Marie with two E's, S-I-O-U-X. This is from her song, Wild Eyes, one of my favorites. Uh, Check out Marie Sue, beautiful music. Thank you. And I look forward to next time. Bye.